Welcome to Xenarchy NT, a project where we explore anarchism, Buddhism, and Bitcoin to imagine a more peaceful way of life. In this episode, we dissect how politics gets toxic and oppressive, and how we found peace in anarchism. So right now, we have this disagreement mm-hmm. of whether or not people like to talk about politics. So for you, what is your stance again? <laughs> Uh, my experience is people hate talking about politics. And when I say people, it's the majority of people. And your basis on that is? My basis on that is I love talking about politics. So I know what love talking about politics sort of means. Uh, and every time I do try to talk about politics, it's usually met with like, oh, let's not go there, man. <laughs> okay. Right. And so, um, Maybe if people like talking about politics, it's within like a certain window or spectrum. But beyond that window, they quickly become disgusted and realize that maybe this is something that I don't really want to have a conversation about. Okay, that's fair. The way I see it or have seen it is that people like talking about politics and... Of course, my basis on that is social media. Probably not the best source of um, of my opinion, but that is what I'm exposed to 24-7. And I do get the sense that people like talking about it because a lot of the people I see who post on social media and reply to other people's posts is... You know, they validate each other a lot. So for whatever issue it is, if they're on the same side or they have the same politics, they will like talking about it. And they will like pointing out who is in the wrong, why they are wrong, why they are right. And I, I, I see that a lot in the comments on Facebook and, you know, Twitter threads. So that's what, that's where I'm coming from. But I do get, um, I, I do get you when you say that there are people who don't like politics when you talk about politics. But I think that's because you're coming from somewhere else. I think, well, I'm, well, because I know you. When you talk about politics, you, sound negative when you sort of say like oh these things don't matter it sounds negative because for another person it matters to them or like you know it's just like how could it not matter when it's something that they value so much i'm not saying that you're i'm not saying that you think gay marriage being legalized doesn't matter but Let's just say it's a gay marriage. Um, and if you say, for example, lobbying for gay marriage, you know, it doesn't matter, it's not a big deal, whatever. I could imagine other people, you know, just being like, oh, how could you not be pro-gay marriage or something? So, yeah, I think when you come from like a more... Oh, but I am pro-gay marriage. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, sorry. Yes, thank you for saying that. I, I know you're pro, but when you get... Or when you sound nihilistic sometimes, or when you say like, oh, for example, oh, it's pointless to vote. Or you feel like it's pointless to vote. A lot of people don't like hearing that. And 
maybe some of them will engage with you, meaning argue with you. But yeah, other people who just get offended will just get offended and just judge you. <laughs> yeah. So basically, from our disagreement, um, where we have different assumptions. Your assumption is people love talking about politics and reaffirming their politics with with like-minded um, people yes. when it comes to their politics. What I was talking about is people don't like talking about politics when it's not reaffirming their own beliefs. Right? So it's when debates. It's, when it's, yeah, well, which which to me is is politics in a way. You know, kind of that's how I sort of define it. So we ha- we're coming from different places, right? Um, yeah, of course. When if you're gonna say that people love talking about politics and it reaffirms their own beliefs, I can agree with that, and I th- think you agree also with what I'm saying, which is um, people don't like talking about politics when it's something that they um, don't agree with. You brought this up, which is um, in polite conversation, this action, right? Which is in polite conversation, you shouldn't talk about politics or religion because these are topics that people get very uh, passionate about right and that passion can lead to disagreements which would lead to not so polite (laughs) conversations anymore Um, and what do those two have in common politics and religion why are people so passionate about it it has well perhaps it has to do with um, I don't want to say salvation but you could say the solution to problems or, you know, something along those lines. In a democratic society... In a democratic society... <laughs> yes, go ahead. What's with a democratic society? Basically, we, 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 we all disagree and we all sort of disagree, but we all have to come to an agreement because there has to be like a top-down order, right? Yes. In in solving whatever problem or policing whatever problem. And that solution, we theoretically, right, we come to that solution through voting or democracy, which is popular opinion. And to me, that's the root, one of the root causes of this problem of why people are so passionate and why people are so toxic is because you have to win. Your side has to win this sort of rhetorical, popular um, war, right? Civil war in a way. It's a peaceful, it's a nonviolent civil war, but it, it is still a disagreement. And if your side doesn't win that war, then you get hurt right and so it's really very important and it's a a matter of it's almost like an existential problem or crisis Um, and why people get so passionate about their movement is because if they don't win then they don't and then they lose they get hurt they don't get a bigger slice of the pie so to say you know their their projects aren't funded etc etc yeah that reminds me a lot of what I learned a few months ago about democracy, which is um, something along the lines of it being the majority exerting force maybe, or like 
maybe majority coercing or exerting their will upon the minority. So it might seem like it was it might seem like there was consent because there was a vote, mm -hmm. right? Or voluntary because there was a vote. Not everyone still agreed. And those who voted otherwise or those who lost the vote would have to adjust now and would have to pay whatever price they have to pay to be a part of whatever this new society will, whatever society will emerge from the result of the vote. Something like that. And that was kind of interesting. I never looked at it that way before, but I like how nuanced, how nuanced um, voting became to me. Because I think we're just used to, you know, thinking of it as majority wins, period. You know, like you just, you just have to adjust. But I never thought of it as potentially being oppressive, coercive. So, yeah. And another thing that it what you said reminded me of was this idea that it is bad to have an ideology. And you were actually the one who told me that. And when you told me that last year, I got pissed. <laughs> I remember getting pissed because in my head every it's just natural for people to have an ideology i don't remember if what i thought was if it was natural for people to have an ideology or it's good to have an ideology but as the months have gone by with lockdown and other political problems that i'm seeing i've seen how you can be blinded by having an ideology. Because you have an ideology, you will do whatever it takes so that your ideology will win. I've and I guess it's it's not so far fetched, right? Like there have been religious wars before for the sake of God, for the sake of love, or whatever. For the sake of peace, world peace, right? But what ends up happening is more death, more violence. So, if I, it reminds me of that avatar quote um, with the with the owl, Wan Shitong. Um, he says something like, "You think you're the first one to say that your war is for a noble cause?" Something like that. And yeah, that's a yeah. There, I see an alignment there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of another quote from The Expanse. And in it, someone is trying to recruit, the hero is trying to recruit someone else and say, this is, this is a cause that it's worth dying for. And she says, you're just another man with another cause to die for, right? And which is kind of like the tale as old as time, which is, uh, you know, uh, here is, something so important, so incredibly, you know, so incredibly like life-changing and it's going to help so many people or it's going to protect so many people from getting hurt. 
and it's worth making the ultimate sacrifice, which is your own life, for to fight this cause. And usually, what ends up happening is, well, the people, uh, the people who do fight the cause, uh, end up dying, and the people who do the uh, sort of propagandizing, they end up becoming, uh, you know, very powerful and influential warlords or whatnot. I have two things to say about that. Um, the quote that you 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 cited from the Expanse. Because I, I started this anonymous anarchist Instagram account mm-hmm. to post anarchist quotes. And I saw this quote. I don't know if Matt Magandhi is anarchist, but when I was looking up anarchist quotes, he said something about, well, I don't, I don't know what the subject is of of the sentence, but he said that there, there's this thing that he is willing to die for, but not kill for. And I kind of want to um, maybe draw a line um, with what you said, mm-hmm. because what you said was about di- dying for something, mm-hmm. right? And it's just interesting that with Mahatma Gandhi, with his quote, it was him dying for something, not killing for something. And it was a personal thing for him. It's not him telling someone else, you should die or kill for my cause. It's just a personal thing. And it's not, you know, imposing or persuading, coercing. And yeah, I just kind of want to draw that line because if you want to die for something, go ahead. That, that's on you, right? That's your choice. That's your life. Um, whoever wants to maybe advise you against it, talk you out of it, fine. But we know that the choice still lies on the individual. What for me is not right is to decide for someone else. You should fight for this. You should die for this. You should love this. Right. You should do this because whatever, whatever. I think, I mean, right now it sounds like advice, right? I mean, it can be framed as advice. But a lot of the time when we're talking about politics, it's not advice. It's an order for the most part. It's, uh, just to be more precise, it's not really just an order. It's, um, I'm going to lobby so that it can become an order, right? It's like we need to, we need to. This this problem is so important and so existential. This crisis is so existential that we need to justify using violence to solve this problem, or we can justify violence to use this problem to solve this problem. And what do I mean by you know we need to we need to commit violence to solve this problem? Just to go back to the whole democracy thing, right? When we say, when you say that there are these two opposing sides, one wants one wants something A, and the other side wants something else, which is B, and whoever wins means that their their version is enforced on the other, right? So if A wins, then A 
is enforced over B, right? And 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 well, uh, when I say enforced, it's they use authority. They use authority to basically uh, basically push that agenda because the authority and it's justified because the majority wants it, right? And so it's now justified, and we can basically uh, we can basically use force and authority to make this the rule of for everybody because you know everybody's equal or whatever. And um, so yeah, that's what we mean by violence, right? Because whoever loses there doesn't get to uh, well, basically has to do something that they don't want to do, right? Yes. Or is not allowed to do something that they want to do, right? And if they do that thing or don't do that thing, which whichever whichever way it works, there is the state will use authority, and that authority is violent in nature to impose the will of the people or whatever. Yeah, I mean, um, but the will of the people in this case, it's not even it's not even like the people can be divided into A and B, right? Um, in fact, there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so forth, right? In fact, there's if if a population is made of of, of 100 million people, there's actually 100 million uh, sort of subgroups, each person being kind of like their own subgroup. And well, you can get in, I don't want to get into like how impossible it is or like how unrealistic all of that is, of course. But the point is, uh, the point I was trying to make is that. The violence that's the violence that's incurred is not like, oh, I voted for I voted for it and therefore I'm not you know uh, and therefore I belong to group A right. In fact, most people don't really even belong to group A or B, and most people uh, you only you wouldn't even know what kind of like uh, what kind of policies or how these policies would affect their lives, and that's because usually the way these um, policies are like conducted or whatever. You know, it's top down. They they say there's a law, and then every, and then as you go lower into the levels, because you know uh, that's how the bureaucratic system works. So that how you're affected would be determined almost by like whoever is in charge of your local area or whatever, and how they interpret sort of the will of the people, right? Yes. And that experience is going to vary per person. And even if you were even if you voted A. Um, the authority, the authority that will be exerted on you is not would, wouldn't even be what you voted for, right? It would it would it would be some, you know, uh, sort of mutated version of what you wanted. And when I say mutated version, I mean it has gone through the bureaucratic process and gone through all the stakeholders, gone through all the lobbyists, right? Gone through uh, all the various interests that will like alter it, and then and then and then have that parsed down and be misinterpreted by. You know, all every le- every level as it gets parsed out, and so what you yourself experience could would be could be totally different from what you actually intended or wanted when you voted in favor of this thing. Yeah, that reminds me a lot of what I hate about these. You know about these like moral dilemma question riddle type of uh, questions like um, the I guess the classic example is you know you have a train 
packed with people and then there's uh, a guy tied in the tracks and you're the conductor or the guy who moves the the track are you just gonna let the train kind of go by or save the the one person whatever you know that dilemma i hate that i hate that i've always hated it Why? but i okay i never knew why i hated it but i always hated it because It just felt like it boxed me at that time, you know, when I when I first heard it like years and years and years ago. I just did not like how the question boxed me. That it just seemed like an instinctive reaction, I think. Um, but a few months ago, I was watching um, like Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad like video essays on YouTube, and there was this YouTuber who made this video about morality and Breaking Bad, I think. I haven't finished the vid- vid- video yet because I haven't finished watching Breaking Bad yet. But the guy was saying that the thing with these morality dilemmas or riddles is it's as if we can predict the outcome. But that is never the case in real life or or the outcome is some kind of like binary and like fixed fixed choices or of, of possible outcomes exactly so he was saying that you know there's like understated maybe hubris there or just i mean it's it's just not clearly it's clearly not realistic and when i when he phrased it that way I think I was able to make the connection with my instinct at the time from before, which is like I felt boxed in because that's not how life works. It's not an easy, you know, cookie cutter kind of result. That's never what you get. And I think that's also why I get bothered when people would sort of say that, oh, at least you know when it comes to politics and i see it on social media everything gets watered down and people say you oh you should do this because it means this and that or you should vote for this person because we will get this as if these promises have ever been you know delivered delivered yeah they haven't like we were promised federalism what happened to that nothing right like there's so many of these promises that you just don't get yeah well yeah so the just just on the on the on the train thing yeah that's that's absolutely right like you think there's only two choices or, or rather you think you're choosing between two outcomes right or or this action can action or non-action will result in result or non-result uh, when in fact, when in fact, any action would result into into any sort of so many different outcomes. Um, you might you might even say there's an infinite number of outcomes, especially when you realize that 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 action would then result in people making action, which would then result in making action, and then that randomness you would you would never be able to like determine sort of beforehand what that result would or could be and so it would always be futile to um to make that action right 
I want to bring up this thing that I've been sensing for like weeks and I've told you about it, but I, I'm convinced that the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender creators were like onto something. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is about Aang in season four who has to kill Fire Lord Ozai. And everyone around him, oh, or almost everyone around him, says that he has to do it to bring peace and order in the world. He has to kill. He has to kill. Yes. And that goes against everything that Aang believes in. And I mean, Aang is, you know, he's Buddhist. He, he believes in, you know, respecting all life forms, etc. So for him, killing is not, or it's not in the cards. And he does everything he can to think of, you know, to think of other ways to go about this. And of course, part of that is asking his friends, the gang, if it's the right thing to do. And they're quite empathetic about it. I don't remember if they tell him if he should or shouldn't do it, but I remember something like Katara being empathetic and saying that he'll know what the right thing to do is, whatever that is. And the other thing that I remember, apart from, you know, Ang just kind of like disappearing, like doing his soul searching thing, is he asks all his past lives for for guidance and advice, whether or not he should do it. And um, infamously, maybe um, Avatar Kyoshi, who was, I think, one Avatar before him, who was like, who doesn't hesitate to kill someone, you know, tells Aang to just kill him. Like, that's what you have to do, just kill him. And so Aang was like, he, he feels like no one seems to understand where he's coming from because for him it's wrong to kill period and he shouldn't be forced to it forced into it so you know he asks he was like maybe an airbender avatar will understand him so he contacts his um avatar yangshan basically to get advice but anyway long story short after he does all of that discernment active discernment he gets to learn about energy bending, which is what the lion turtle bestows upon him. And I maybe it's not right to phrase it as a reward from like the universe that, oh, because you've searched far and wide, the universe or some higher being rewards you with energy bending. But I do feel like it's a possibility when you do your best to figure out another way out when you do your best to go beyond a binary of do this or do that the possibility of finding another way increases or it just opens up so yeah i maybe other people would think that you know the whole energy bending thing is probably out of nowhere but i would say that it was earned because of all that you know active discernment because i think that's the thing like for for a lot of the politics that people are exposed to 
a lot of it is just either or. And I feel like, at least for me, try to go beyond the black and white of it all has given me a... It's gonna sound arrogant to say that, oh, it's given me a lot more perspective. But if I can't say that, or if it's arrogant to say that, I will say that it's given me a lot more peace. That I'm more confident to say. To go beyond the black and white of what the politics gives you, right? The the, the either-or thing. Um, for a lot of people, you know, that sounds so vague. I, w- I can imagine that would sound so vague as if, uh, well, what, 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 how would you know that this beyond is not just another person or another, you know, entity trying to trying to give you trying to force you through their agenda or whatever so it doesn't really provide a lot of good framework for like okay when it comes to politics what should you support or where where should your stance lie right um people also might be listening and thinking okay so are you saying inaction is better than no action right and for people, it's like, well, if we need, if we want to solve problems, right, we need to we need to have action. We need to do something about it, right? And I think what I want to stress here, that's really important, is what we're what we're trying to say is, it's not it's not that inaction is better than action. It's inaction is better than coercive action. Mm. If your solution. If part of your solution means coercing people to do something that they don't want to do, otherwise wouldn't want to do, right? Um, for me, I think it's better to leave it alone, leave the leave the problem, or leave these people to fix their own problems, or whatever whatever it is. In action, in this case, would be better than coercive action, right? Why? And well. Why is it better? We already touched on this, right? We don't know what are the downstream effects, what are the downstream consequences of this coercive action. However, uh, you know, some people might say, "Well, this this cor- this outcome, it's is worth it. It's worth it. It's better. You know, it's it's you'll be better people, better will be more people, better off, right? Compared to the people that we." That we've heard in the process, so to say, like the the, the good outweighs the be- the cost, mm-hmm. right? The benefit outweighs the cost. And I have a very simplistic response, right? Maybe we can hash that out a little bit more. And my the simplistic response is because violence, right, is the the the. the, the the ver- at the very core of this solution, right, is violence. The outcome will always be biased so that there is more people hurt than 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 you benefit. Is that always the case? Is there ever a, is there ever a case where violence is used and it actually benefited more people, right, than it hurt? I want to argue that because that you know because at its core, it's violent, it's authoritarian. The result will be, will always be, I want to say, hurting more than helping people. And hurting in more ways than you can ever imagine. 
I I would I would add. Um, I think you brought you up. You couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of things that could be hashed out in in different ways. Um, I think where I'm coming from is. Okay, so maybe this is where we kind of differ a little bit. I'm not super sure yet, but this is sort of like my gut feel right now is that I think in terms of like, oh, you know, between like coercive action and just, you know, your personal action versus inaction or whatever, I think the one that I would prize the most right now is in action. And I don't like how that word is phrased because it's phrased in such a negative light. Well, like, it's, it's negative. Yeah, it is negative, right? Like you're, you're, you're just letting things happen. Mm. And I mean, you have all these examples of, oh, you know, the Holocaust is happening and, you know, in action is just, you know, turning a blind eye, for example. And so what I'm going to say does not relate to the Holocaust and stuff like that. Um, But it's more on like on a personal level that I think some people might have forgotten or don't quite think about, which is just do no harm. I think when you think of doing no harm, you will second guess a lot of the things that you want to do. And that doesn't, that's not to say that, you know, do no harm means you will never act on anything. It's just a matter of thinking through it a bit more, maybe, and having that humility of not speaking for someone else, not deciding for for someone else and yeah that's that's where i'm at at the moment it doesn't yeah so it doesn't really answer the whole like you know if something bad is happening what do you do right like are you going to be passive or not i think that's up to you know individuals to decide but prescribing and being, you know, just throwing yourself out there and not thinking about it. I think you should think about it. Just think, just weigh everything as much as you can. Earlier, I brought up, or I'm not sure if I was very specific on this, but in my mind, this is like where my mind was going um, about ideology, which I brought up earlier, like not having an ideology. And I think part of this idea that I have now, which is do no harm, is also, I guess, detachment and trying not to be very passionate as much as, you know, as much as possible. Because with the climate now with social media and, you know, people behind social media, behind news agencies, behind um, these social media companies, the algorithms, it is so easy to manipulate you if you have, you know, this, this 
thing that you're so passionate about or your your ideology and i mean earlier i mentioned the holocaust and you think that just happened just like that of course not right like i'm sure the propaganda machine when it comes to patriotism was at work for for that sort of thing to happen like i wouldn't be surprised right like when you when you have these when you have these values or these i guess ideologies it is really easy for a government to spin that and use that against you so that you hurt others so i think for me part of my do no harm is detaching myself as much as possible i mean there's the thing i'm human right so there are things that i see online that will anger me or frustrate me or make me sad right that's the knee jerk reaction but what do i do after that i i do my best to just you know step away detach try to evaluate things and i just let it i eventually i'm able to let it go right i the thing is there are things that obviously i would like to change about how our society works today but i think the change that i want to see in society today i was able to kind of reframe that in such a way that these are changes that maybe i can make just for myself because i guess the way i see it um Do I want to be specific right now? Okay, let's I'll be specific right now. I'll 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 bite the bullet if that's the saying, whatever. Um for example, with the whole mask mandates. I personally do not like mask mandates. But here's the thing. If other people want to wear masks, I and I don't want to wear masks, like I'll just let them, I'll just leave them alone. Like if you still want to If you still want to wear a mask, if you want to mask your kids, fine. But don't force me to wear a mask. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that is a very contentious issue and people are likely to get mad or be happy that I'm saying something like that. But I'm just saying in terms of, you know, policies like that, I'm just saying that I've learned to sort of also not impose what i want on other people and that's given me a lot of peace i don't know why <laughs> but it was kind of i don't know i guess it's just kind of freeing or maybe this is what harmony feels like you know when people think sometimes of harmony it's like oh we all just have to like be together we have to like be the same but no the point of harmony is we're different but there's this sort of acceptance and it works when we're different. So, yeah, I just I kind of just like that. Just letting people decide what what's best for themselves. Because for all you know, maybe, you know, they do they live with older people or vulnerable people, whatever, right? So, I'm happy to just let them decide for themselves, best outcome for themselves, and for me to just do what I think is best for myself. Yeah. So when you're evaluating 
like a political stance or you know some kind of issue and you wonder whether what is the right issue for me at least when whichever side says you know we don't want to force people to do things they don't want to do i will always side with that side and like you said earlier you know like for example with the whole mask mandate thing there is one side that says i just want to be left alone and there's another side that says uh, no, uh, based on my own understanding and my my own uh, based on bas- basically my own beliefs, I want to force you to do something that you don't want to do because I think it's better for everybody. And well, we know how that sort of turned out. Many people don't, but it's already common. It's already accepted at least outside of the country. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Uh, fuck. I think... Yeah. Oh, go, sorry. Well, what are you going to say? No, I was just going to... Well, the, I think mask mandates is a very tricky example. Yeah. Because we've seen the argument on both sides, right? I mean, the, the, the side of people who are pro-mask mandates is that... If you're not masked, then you are, you know, hurting other people. Um, you are spreading the virus, whatever. And I think it's that may be true, but we're not the only ones, right? Like even people who are masked can still spread the virus for one. Well, we can't. I mean, if we go into okay, if we go fine, into that, true. if we go into that, then I'm going to say the masks just don't work. Okay, fine. Right. You can say that. So, um, and so it's, you know, it, it's, if we're going to argue about whether we should mandate, it's like, well, this, do, 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 do the masks even work? No, I, no, right. I, I'm not talking about like that, that part of the argument. I, I'm just sort of bringing up this whole idea of personal responsibility. And for me, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that it's so funny that you have this one side that gets kind of like, extremely paranoid whether or not that's you know that has any grounds but i'm just saying that it's funny that all the blame is from one side to the other that's what i'm trying to point out with for example with mask mandates the the whole argument is because you're not masked you're the one who's spreading the virus as if the other side who's worried about the spread of the virus you know is not doing everything you know what i mean i think that's what i'm trying to say like the blame is just very one-sided as opposed to okay accepting this reality that maybe other people have other you know other beliefs therefore what what else can you do in terms of if you want to protect your family so much so that's where i'm trying to that's where i'm coming from like there has to be this extreme like acknowledgement of like your responsibility if you want to be like safe absolutely from you know covid well you you said you know blame right and what and i just wanted to i want to point out how with these sort of you know political divides usually that's what ends up happening where you end up just sort of it becomes a blame game right Oh, this is our problem because this group of people aren't following or aren't doing 
XYZ, right? And blame games, well, I mean, obviously they're very toxic to society because they create, you know, sort of other groups who are the reason for your for your pain or your first, your suffering or your anxiety, right? And and if we could only just do something about this other group, you know, do something right that you blame for your anxiety, then perhaps you could fix the problem. And you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, in the past, that has resulted in just the most horrific outcomes. And you, you already brought up, uh, you already brought up one of the most most popular, you know, uh, most popular example, which is the Holocaust. But that's not the only example, right? That's yes. not the only example of people murdered, killed, um, silenced. And we can talk about all that. We can go on with of the course. We can go talk go on with the list of like crimes that have been done in the name of sort of because of this blame, right? This blaming of the other. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? If the people who just agreed could just live together and you mean form... the people who want to be left alone. Yeah, yeah, I mean the people who want to be left alone could just come together and form their own community. And the people who, you know, want to be under some sort of yeah. you know authority, you know, would stay together, right? Like if well, like I think it would be just cool to just be in the same place and live with the same you know like-minded people open the borders <laughs> well I, I would say wouldn't it be cool to just opt out to be able to opt out of this status government uh society and when i say opt out i mean like not be subject to its authority uh even if you are living in that society right um but no that that can't be right because it has to be that everybody is subject to the same, you know, sort of authority, the same kind of, uh, you know, oppression. Um, yeah. And that is that is something that's out of the question, right? So you realize that the side that's this sort of this this side, quote unquote, the side that says, you know, this is what I want you to do. They also say you have no other option. You must. Right, comply. Comply, right? If you want to opt out, that is something you cannot do. And and usually, usually they will justify it by saying like, "Well, how could you benefit from all the all the things that you know government and society, modern society brings you, and yet you don't sort of pay the price?" Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much, there's so many things wrong with that. I mean, to assume that all of all of what is good here is because of government uh, is. Uh, right. It, I think it belittles. It's, unfo- it's unfounded, right? And it belittles, you know, human ingenuity. Yeah. And it just goes to show. I mean, like, if 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 it is truly good, right? If this is truly the way that we're supposed to organize, then why is it that you need to force people to do it, right? Right. Why is it that opting out can never be an option, right? It has to be this thing and nothing else right? yeah. yeah it reminds me of like anarchist communities in southeast asia when they don't agree with their community whether it's cultural practices or religion or certain rules they will just leave the community and form their own community with 
like-minded people and yeah, yeah like, well, that doesn't seem possible with the world we live in you need yeah, papers exactly. to be able to do that right it, it's when when modern people hear you know could we opt out they think it means could we that that's that they think oh that means you have to go up in the mountains and live this like hermit life like hermit uh you know off-grid sort of lifestyle or whatever it's tempting for um, me <laughs> well i mean like yeah but um that doesn't have to be the case and i think modern society is able to hold itself up without the state i mean rather modern society as we know it as we're living in it today is functioning because it just functions right and it doesn't it's not functioning because of the government i might i might even argue that it's functioning despite the government mm. right if you go i mean and we, we live in metro manila and this is a this is a perfect example of what i mean um do you think metro manila is orderly or disorderly because of the government right i argue it's disorderly because of the government and it's and it's orderly because because of like the chaos or the order that comes in the chaos so to say right uh I mean, metro manila as a as a as like a you know as like a microcosm or something like its own like sort of mini miniature world is to me so fascinating and interesting because it's almost like this anarchy anarchist society that we have that precons it's 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 almost like metro manila is the textbook definition of an anarchic society that we have the misconception of right the misconception of what an anarchist society would be it kind of looks like you think it kind of look like this and yet we're in a in a government in a status society right so i will i always want to mm, say okay. yeah so sorry when you when you say like the misconception of an anarchist yeah. society you mean chaos right yeah um so when i say when we opt out it's not like it's not like we we need to abandon our modern lives it's 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 literally we can ignore the government and continue with our normal lives without the government getting in our way so to say yeah yeah um that's really hard to imagine right we we were sort of brought up and institutionalized you might say you know through public schooling that this is the only way we can't imagine any other way and that's something like being able to imagine what that world would be like i think that is what anarchism sort of uh, lacks and that's where you know i mean this is this is my own personal hope which is that creative sides you know the more sort of cultural cultural side is able to imagine what that world could be like this modern stateless world that's something that I want to, we we're probably going to explore in many many more like discussions. Well, I would say that as much as it's, you know, natural for us to want to know what that world will look like, I think for me personally, I find that not having a precise answer is the beauty of anarchism because it's not for someone to to say that this is what an anarchist society looks like. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know it sounds like meta or something, but no, no, no. but like I feel like it's 
in the very nature of anarchism or an anarchist society is like it's whatever you make it out to be and it's not planned yeah it, it's probably not planned and you know whatever planning that you'll have it it might you know i mean there would be self corrections along the way right because you could make really bad decisions that would you know make the anarchist society become a coercive totalitarian state you never know right but the beauty is in going there and figuring it out and i love that i love that there is no there is no you know uh like a like a plan like an architecture plan of okay this is what it is or like a recipe like yeah. i like that there's none of that yeah um yeah exactly At least well to the you know to the main points yeah. right yeah well that's that's yeah, well i mean you you've sort of you sort of hit one of those uh, you sort of hit one of those i would say all encompassing answers that you'd usually hear from libertarians and anarchists which is which the question is you know what does it look like and the answer is we don't know because it's a free market right um yeah and people think it's a cop out because it's like well how can i support something that i don't know right <laughs> how can we how can we dream or plan off or whatever and again this is this is always the wrong way of thinking wrong way of approaching what yeah. should be done i think the, the interesting part of it is you know asking for what it will look like i mean it's an honest question it's a question that you know stems from our natural curiosity what about But, this what about the roads what about the schools exactly. what about the military what it's, about it's asking it's like you're already asking for something to be given to you or you have all these like checklists or something as opposed to coming at it from you know maybe from fresh eyes so uh there's this saying <laughs> there's this saying i don't know if it's a saying but there's this idea at least in libertarianism or free market or the free market which is you know don't don't underestimate the creativity or the imagination of the free market or the ability for the free market to provide solutions right and what that means is okay you have these problems whatever solution that is going that that is going that the free market will come up with we have no idea and the um the possibilities is endless right on the other hand um i also want to say if if you if you shouldn't underestimate the free market in providing solutions and those solutions being infinite we shouldn't also underestimate um the capacity for bureaucrats to sort of come up with absurd and nonsensical solutions which would end up hurting people so the same way the same way the creativity of the free market is limitless and boundless in like providing you know actual solutions likewise the bureaucracy is their creativity in how to sort of enslave people enslave people is just as limitless and just as boundless actually their imagination is limitless um what isn't limitless is their capacity to enforce when you talk about how creative the state could be when it comes to as you've said enslaving people that sounds very dark i guess and uh, pessimistic do you see 
a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. So, yeah, I realize that it does sound pessimistic. We are critiquing government or the state after all. And in the Philippines, that is a bottomless well that we will never run out of things to say to critique and criticize the government for. And it does sound pessimistic because we're not offering a alternative. We are offering an alternative, though. Yeah, but maybe it's not tangible or maybe it doesn't feel concrete to other people. Yeah, it doesn't sound concrete if you're thinking of it in terms of, you know, plans or programs, which is typically how we think of it, think of government or think of the future in a status, in a status mindset. But what we are trying to offer is a different kind of mindset altogether. So it's not plans or visions or imaginations. It's more of a mindset, uh, one that says, okay, this state, the state, the government is probably the issue and that you yourself and the people that you interact with, you don't need to be, you don't need to be violent and antagonistic and sort of, you know, really, really passionate about Uh, about these issues and the solutions that we think will solve them. It allows us to sort of take a step back, almost, almost just accept the suffering uh, that the state does, um, understanding it, and then also understanding that other people around you are going through the same thing. And it allows you to be somehow more empathetic with other people's struggles. So... So this mindset, ever since I've kind of adopted it, it's also allowed me to talk about politics and not feel like I have to win this argument or this discussion. And allows me to sort of listen to other people and think to myself, okay, whatever it is that they're thinking about or whatever it is that they want to do, So it allows me to sort of accept or validate their experience. I think when that happens, at least for me, when I've seen it happen and have experienced it in like really small ways, though, it's kind of interesting to see how there's just this connection or like a surprising connection that you could have with someone that you know, let's say traditionally, you wouldn't get along with. So it's nice to find that common ground. And from there, I think, who knows, it's probably up to, you know, the people involved to come up with something. But it's cool now that they've paved the way to something together, as opposed to trying to silence each other. So... Shall we end on that note? Yeah, I think that was good. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can follow us on social media. We are at Zenarchy and T. And if you want to have a conversation, you can join our community. It's called Lisuka Station on Geneva. Links are in the description.